Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski. Thanks so much for joining us on episode number 69 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is is the 2016 World Series of Poker Ladies Event winner, Courtney Kennedy. A poker player and dealer from Detroit, Michigan, Courtney is someone whose involvement in the poker world is probably quite relatable to most of us. A recreational player whose love for the game is undeniable and who's found a little bit of special success playing the type all of us dream of. It's time to hear her story, and today we'll get to know Courtney a little better. Courtney, welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you, Robbie, and thank you for having me. Hello to everyone. I'm going to say first that I am glad that I am number 69 on your list for two reasons. That's actually my birthday and my favorite hand to play. So it's ironic on that. Oh, I didn't even know. <laughs> that's really cool. And, you know, it's that funny. is we were, interesting. And, and we were talking just before, uh, you know, we hit the record button. Uh, you know, I asked you, have you had heard of Cards Chat before? And you say you don't even usually listen to podcasts. Would you like to sort of tell our audience how you heard uh, about this podcast and about Cards Chat? Uh, yeah, actually, I was on Facebook and I'm friends with uh, Danielle Anderson, and um, I happened to see her link to post, and I said, let me check it out. It was like early in the morning, and I listened to it, and it just really resonated with me because um, I believe she's more down to earth, and we have some similar um, ideologies behind the game and how to approach the game, and I actually listened to it and enjoyed it and reached out to you uh, just to see, you know, how things go and how I can maybe contribute to this um, process. Yeah, and uh, it's really it was really cool to hear that. It's always great to hear feedback from uh, our audience, from our listeners, and especially, you know, someone was like also made her way and and, and done uh, some good stuff in the poker world. And I was like, yeah, I think this this could be a really cool episode too. So uh, thank you very much for joining us, Courtney. Uh, the research was uh, a little bit different than usual right. uh, that we do, um, <laughs> but uh, the research does reveal this was you know very interesting. You've been playing cards since you were two years old do you do you actually remember your first encounter with a deck of cards I do I do remember that I would sit in the middle of a living room floor with my grandmother and I don't remember what was on the cards but I remember holding them and my grandmother was just an avid card player she used to throw card parties and you know cook and cut the games and back in those times you know that paid some bills and did some other things. And so when everyone was gone, she still wanted to play cards. So she's got this one grandbaby sitting here and she would just put cards in my hand and I haven't looked back since. So that's just how it went, you know. And this was poker that she was playing or other types of games? She was, Oh yeah, she was playing poker, dealing poker, playing poker. I mean, and I have uh, other games that I've learned to play over time, uh, spades or beer whiz, tongue, you know. I even play a little euchre and gin rummy. Uh-huh. So it's always been something, but yeah, she started out with poker and I just, I think I was probably slobbing on the cards at that point, but I mean, they were in my hand one way or another. <laughs> were there any sort of stakes? Like, were you playing for, I don't know, cookies or M&Ms or something back then? Well, at that point, I was just a baby in the room full of adults that were gambling. <laughs> so I probably ate a few cookies, as you can see, and they, they've stuck. But yeah, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to win anything but time with my grandmother. <laughs> okay, I understand that. Well, at, at what point, okay, so, you know, I, I have a similar story also. I was eight years old when I learned around the kitchen table, my dad, my grandpa as well. Um, and, and when those sorts of things happen, eventually, stakes do get introduced you start playing for pennies or nickels or something like that can uh-huh. you remember when that happened actually well, what happened is i my father was also a major gambler and used to hang out at like the little after hour spots and things and so i was probably like more like eight or nine when i was first watching it and absorbing the game for what it was i still wasn't playing Right. But I was just watching how it all goes. And back then, the game of choice, of course, was seven cards stood. Right. So I'm just watching these people flip these cards and bet these pots. And it was just going so fast. But I was interested because I was a dad's girl. I'm an only child. So I'm like, well, mm-hmm. let's see how this goes. So fast forward beyond that to 
where I think I would say my very first encounter, I was in college. I was um, I was going to Howard University and I, I was bored one weekend and I said, OK, what can I do? And I ended up Googling the casinos around and just drove to Atlantic City on my own. It's about four mm-hmm. hour drive. And um, my first my very first casino was the Sands. Oh, wow. Okay. And the Legendary. very first day that I played, I hit a royal flush. <laughs> and it's, I think it's, I think my story is similar to people who touch slots for the first time. Uh-huh. And so you win something in slots and it's like, okay, well, slots has got to be the way to go. Right. So I think the day I hit that royal flush, it was like, okay, now this all makes sense. What my grandmother was doing, what my father was doing, maybe this is what I should do. And um, so, yeah, it, it was fun. And it was, I ended up spending probably one too many weekends out there subsequently after, but you know, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) That's how they get you in Atlantic City. Exactly. Exactly. And this is a Royal in seven card stud, which is, I don't know. No, I actually played Hold'em. Okay. I I visited the Taj. It was still open back then. And I did watch a few games of seven card stud being played, but Uh, it never, it never caught my interest. Hmm. I, I wasn't good at it. I understood how it was played, but I, I didn't really uh, indulge in it too much. That's, that's interesting. Okay, so you said so you you went to Howard University. What were mm-hmm. you studying? What sort of were, I guess, your career ambitions before you decided to take a turn towards poker? At that point, it was just um, just communications. Um, I've always been big into math and English, and I think at that time I thought I might have wanted to do something like in journalism or radio and TV. Mm-hmm. So I studied a lot of coursework there, and um, like I said, one too many weekends of just either playing there on campus. You know, of course, you find all the the house games and the recreational players, and we'd sit up and play. And um, I, I just knew then that that was something that I was probably going to stick to for quite some time. So. Did you have a, a home game with friends that you played with maybe in college that saved you the four-hour drive? Yeah, but it wasn't as good because they were bad players, you know? <laughs> so some people would say that's the perfect game to be sitting in. I know. I know. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> we uh, we had a good time and we played for naturally, you know, nothing to hurt someone's tuition, but sure. it was always we did a lot of things on bragging rights. We did a lot of things on maybe like prop bets and, you know, just kind of talking mess towards one another, but never really, it it was never the stakes. I think that got me going about poker. Um, Probably not until like now, but back then it was just learning how to read people. One thing I loved about poker was not necessarily how much money I was winning, but just studying people. If, if I can say anything that has applied to life outside of cards that I've gotten from that game, and that's the ability to understand people more. Interesting. So you're saying that, and you're saying that you studied communications as well. You can definitely see some sort of a pattern. You like engaging with people. You like playing. Um, a lot of folks who, you know, got bitten by the bug, you know, they say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and, and try to make it as a professional poker player and make my money that way and, and support myself. Uh, you chose the route of a dealer. Why is that? Well, at the time I had a mother and father, I'm an only child. And, you know, my father had grown ill and it was one of those things where I didn't want to rely completely on chance in order to sustain uh a lifestyle for us. And so it's almost like you have to have a backup plan to the backup plan. And I decided that that was probably my best decision was to do something I love. So I actually now have a job that I love, which I know a lot of people can't say, you know, I don't, I don't look, you know, I'm not one of those that don't look forward to going to work. You know, I like the people, you know, they typically like me, you know, until they hit the, you hit the river card on them or whatever. But um, <laughs> even dealing, I'm still learning, you know, I, I'm learning from the people and how they play, you know, and tweaking your game. And because I've never been big on like studying books and reading materials and watching eight hours worth of videos, you know, yeah. I'm kind of a just get your get your hands in the cookie jar and, 
you know, you taste and measure as you go along until you get the perfect cookie. You know, that's kind of how I am. I like that. Good, good extended metaphor. And we'll, we'll touch upon that uh, just a little bit. And I believe one of our community questions relates to, to how you study and learn and that sort of a thing. Um, okay. Well, I imagine, you know, you wanted to sort of be, you know, close to home. So you looked in the local scene in Detroit. You ended up at uh, Motor City Casino. Right. Um, mm-hmm. How did you end up there? I mean, I know there's quite a few uh, poker rooms in the Detroit area. Um, well, at that particular time, I had actually had like another, what we'll call a regular job and it just wasn't working out schedule wise. So I actually went to the poker room manager because I was an avid player at Motor City, Uh um, prior to, and I said, Hey, you know, I think this might be something I want to do. And he said, Hey, you know, go ahead and apply. You may have to deal blackjack or some other games first. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how quickly I can get you in the room, but it doesn't hurt to try. Mm-hmm. So I went ahead and I applied and um, I think I dealt blackjack for about three or four months. And then they had a part time. Um, they had a dealing class for poker open. Uh-huh. And then right after I graduated from the class, there was a part time position. So I went ahead and took part time. I you know, worked three to four days a week and I actually don't even desire full time. So I stay on the part time. So that allows me to still, you know, move around and play and do whatever I need to do from there. And how long you been there? Nine years. Nine years. Very nice. Um, mm-hmm. I have never played uh, in Detroit. Uh, I, I've never, you know, visited any of the casinos there. Uh, you know, okay. lots of folks who move around. You know, they have their poker destinations. They think, you know, L.A., Vegas, South Florida, Detroit isn't necessarily there, but you know, there is a scene. C- could you tell us a little yeah. bit about the scene in general and uh, perhaps at Motor City specifically? Okay. Um, well. I think each of the three casinos here offer a little bit of something different, depending on what kind of player you are. I have kind of bit the bug on Omaha in the last few years. So I've gotten a little bored with Hold'em. And so at this time, naturally, I can't play where I work, but most of the great PLO games are now held at MGM. So I'm typically there maybe once or twice a week. And um, tournament wise, we at Motor City hold a once a month tournament for $300. It's the second Saturday of every month. And the first place prize is about 30,000. Okay. So we normally get about 500 people to come out for that every month. And um, so in terms of cash games, like your one, two, your two, five, your PLO, it's more heavy on a day-to-day basis there volume wise at MGM we do pretty well with our tournaments at Motor City. We have some cash games, but we're not as affluent as MGM. And we used to be, but, you know, with the COVID situation, we actually opened back up after MGM, which hurt us mm-hmm. instead of simultaneously, because typically poker players are creatures of habit. So wherever yeah. you start going, unless there's some catastrophe, that's where you continue to go. Right. Well, um, they also late then, reg though. So maybe they'll just, you know, forget that the first one opened. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And then Greek Town is the third one. And they're, they're kind of on the up and coming. They've re- remodeled their room and got new TVs. And I think they have some new promotions going. But because I typically like to play Omaha, I don't go there because they normally just do um, hold them games there. So. Cool. About how big are each of the rooms? Our, our room at Motor City has... 17 regular standing tables, but we actually open up to about mm, about 32 to 33 on times that we need tournaments. Wow. So we have some, you know, a space available for that. Um, MGM, oh my goodness, don't start me to line. I think it's one, two, three, four, 21 to 22 tables. I think they can spread. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure on Great Town. Yeah, that, that that's pretty sizable. I mean, have, have you played or dealt elsewhere in the United States? Because like, like, if so, I have a second sort of like a follow up to that. Oh no, I've dealt in a couple house games here, you know, locally, but never um, like at the World Series or anything like that. No, I've never dealt across the country. Okay, but you've played in Las Vegas, obviously. Like, is, is there yeah. any sort of way that uh, you know to what would someone compare the I don't know, the vibe of, of playing in Las Vegas versus playing in Detroit. Is there like any sort of a, a tangible difference? I would say probably the most common answer would, would just be the tourists. 
situation. Okay. You, you know, coming into Vegas, even when I go out to play, you know, a series of tournaments, I'm naturally going to run into people that are just like me that are just there for the time. So mm-hmm. I think you get the the new element of not knowing the person, you know, which may help you in terms of maybe having a challenge or maybe getting money that is more loose from a player that's not so great versus you going to the same place. Like I'm going to MGM. I kind of know the same nine or 10 people that's going to sit there. I know what time they come. I know what time they leave, you know, and it can get kind of monotonous at sometimes. But but you also know uh, who's left and who's right. You want to be sitting on, I'm sure. Absolutely. And they, they, (laughs) they try to move around me the same way. I believe. (laughs) I hear that. Here she comes. Uh-oh. There you go. Well, uh, you don't uh, hold down a job uh, for nine years without uh, enjoying it. Like you said, you know, you, you love coming to work uh, and thankfully you get to kind of, you know, more or less make your own hours and shifts, you know, doing it part time. Uh, what are some of the things you enjoy most about dealing poker? I think it's just the people. For me, it's it's not the cards. It's not necessarily the game. The way I approach mentally to working there is is in this form and I actually share this with players too you know because you get people that you know they get so upset they get upset with the dealers they get upset with losing so on and so forth it can be an emotional process and I tell people a lot of times let you you have to remain in the sense that this is a, a form of entertainment it may be expensive depending on what level you play but at the end of the day it's a form of entertainment my job is to make sure that you are entertained. So I am the person that is going to give you a laugh. I'm the person that, you know, may throw in a joke here or there. And I try to keep the mood light because at the end of the day, my thing is I can't guarantee whether or not you're going to win or lose, but I will guarantee whether or not you'll have a good time. I look at my job as an entertainer. I am here. You have took $200 out of an ATM to entertain yourself and you are hoping to win, but there's no guarantee that you win. But by the time you get back home to normal life, work, kids, circumstances, you can say, hey, I spent $200 and Courtney entertained me. So one way or another, that's what it was. Pretty cool. Great answer. I I like that. Very cool. And it's, uh, you know, when you have that sort of overriding attitude, I can understand why you would enjoy uh, what you do. Entertainment is fun. Generally speaking, people go into a casino. Now, some of them are there to make a living, but, you know, to have a good time. So that's a a really nice attitude. Um, You know, the flip side uh, of enjoying your job. And as you, you know, had mentioned, Unfortunately, we know that sometimes dealers are subject to verbal abuse, and we all agree that's something that has to stop, cannot be condoned. You know, you are right there, front and center, in the spotlight. I I imagine it's happened to you over the years. How do you react uh, in the moment when bad behavior like that kind of rears its ugly head? Well, I'm kind of known as the warden. Oh, I have two players specifically when I come to the table that said, here comes the warden. Oh, boy. In the most affectionate way that they know how. Right. And it's one of those things where I think that I just, I approach it with the same attitude as I do if it's going to be a great situation, is that I'm kind of just direct, you know, sir, ma'am, if I know their name. And I just have a small conversation because my issue is there. I'm there to make tips. You're there to make money. And I have to make sure that I am in a place where everyone is balanced and everyone is receiving what they need to receive. So if you're going to be one to try to hinder that, I'm going to, if I can't get you to understand or focus, you know, naturally you go through your protocols of calling the floor and all that. But typically I'm able to to suppress it by just having a normal kind of glare or a couple few words that says, hey, we're not going to do this today or we're not going to have that happen or you understand that you can't do this. And it typically is, is not too bad after that. Good. And then, like you said, also, you've been there for a while and you know, you've got some tenure. And as you said, I suppose it's more of a local's type of scene so people know you you know them so you know i i guess decorum uh, is the is the 
you know, the, the <laughs> typical thing that you've I, I've established. I've established myself. I have enough, like you said, tenure and I've earned my respect, I guess. And then also having um, a poker history and them knowing that I understand both sides of the coin. I right. sit in your chair as, as same as I sit in this chair. So therefore, there's not much that you're going to try to pull over my eyes as if I may not understand. Yeah. Sure. And you also, of course, understand both sides uh, of the tipping. I've always heard the dealers tip the best when they're playing. Is yeah. that true? Absolutely. I do. Yeah. I, 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 I tend to uh, tip in a way that I desire to be tipped. You know, I don't necessarily look at it from person to person or pot to pot. I just try to keep it consistent because at the end of the day, we all want to win sure. when it comes okay. to that. I like it. Very cool. Well, um, you know, when we're players, as you know, you know, you want to sit on the someone's left or someone's right, and you always practice good game selection to be sure you're at the right table to, you know, perhaps maximize, you know, your winnings and your enjoyment. When you're a dealer, right. though, every half hour, you're at a new table, you know, whether you whether you like it or not at the end of a down, right. um, you know, so you can't always, you know, by definition, decide where you're going to be sitting. So I imagine right. some interesting, unusual types of table stories, characters may have, uh, you know, passed by you uh, over the years. Maybe you've got a, an interesting story to tell us about that. Um, that's a good one. I, um, I don't think I've had anyone that's really stood out. I mean, you know, you get your couple intoxicated folks, maybe on a late Friday night, you know, they try to pull a fast one, but I, I don't really have anything that sticks, you know, in terms of, oh, yeah, I can't remember that time that, you know, this guy flew under the table or something. Yeah, I don't I don't have anything great, but okay. I mean, it, 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 it happens. They come, they go. You okay. know, it's, Perhaps someone, uh, you know, locally famous from the Detroit scene, maybe some athletes or musicians or something like that have walked in and graced your tables. We you I used to. um Oh my goodness, his name is losing me right now. Give me a minute. Um, used to deal a lot to Verlander um, oh, sure. when he was still playing for the Tigers. Uh -huh. And so him and his crew would come in and they were very nice, very respectable. You know, wasn't necessarily looking to have some extra form of, of treatment or anything. And they were really, you know, laid back. And uh, that, that was always nice. They would come in after a game, typically during that season. Um, they just sort of played on their own, like at a, at a private table, or they interacted with everyone else there? No, they would interact with everyone else. So okay. wherever they could find a seat, that's what I mean. It was never a, you know, posh type moment. It's like, no, wherever we can play, we just like playing cards. One, two, two, five? One, typically two, five. Wow. Okay. Very yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. Definitely yeah. to be such a, a baller, except when he's on the mound. Okay. Very right. Cool. <laughs> right. And, and with, you know, even when people would come up, he wouldn't turn away or, you know, turn his nose up, you know, sign something here or there or whatever. It was, that's it was really good. great. Well, that's really yeah. cool. Also, like, you know, you said it's, uh, you know, by definition, kind of like, um, you know, you're interacting with people and, you know, you're there, you're doing your job and you get to sort of see them away from the spotlight. It's, I guess, right. uh, eye opening to sort of see that, you know, they're just, you know, they put on the pants the same way. I did think of something that you just now that you mentioned it. Cedric, the entertainer actually comes down to our soundboard at Motor City and does a show typically about once a year. Okay. So when he comes with his his crew, um, they will set up a private table in the second room. and. Okay. Um, I've dealt to them, you know, and they let them smoke their cigars and they have a special waitress for them and they tell jokes. And then I even tell jokes. So I'm, you know, like, hey, I know you're getting big, pay big bucks for your jokes, but, you know, I have a couple of them. So that's always fun. <laughs> Do they also know you as the warden, Courtney? <laughs> no, okay. no, that's because they're on their best behavior, Rob. That's, that's right. Okay, very, very cool. Um, you mentioned that uh, you enjoy learning while you're sitting in the dealer's seat from the other players. What sort of, um, you know, tips, tricks, you know, maybe a couple strategies have you been able uh, to pick up? Because, you know, as we know, dealing properly and, you know, making sure everything runs in an orderly fashion, it does demand attention. So it's a little bit difficult to do both simultaneously. Um, I think I have played and dealt so much poker that I can actually focus on multiple things at one time pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, I have had a couple of students of the game come to me for assistance, you know, oh. hey, can you help me with this? And 
So I say to someone starting out or someone that has um, improvements that they're looking for, um, you know, the headphone thing at the game and the, you know, music thing and watching a whole TV show on an iPad and all that. And I'm like, you know, this may not be the place for that if you're still in that learning curve. You know, how can you know what's going on over here or what this person is doing? And I typically tell people you're learning even when you're not in a hand. And I think a lot of people forget that is that there's so much free information that you can absorb from hands where these people are sitting here with you for five or six hours. And so if you are able to look up and see how someone's betting or how someone's reacting and what they're folding and showing, so on and so forth, that gives you information that will be to your advantage when you're in a hand with that person. But if you're so busy watching the Housewives of Atlanta, you're going to miss out on a lot of that information. So <laughs> that's what I... True words have never been spoken. Um, I, I like that a lot. Um, okay, we've talked a lot about uh, you as the dealer and the dealer's seat, uh, you know, uniform. Let's talk about Courtney Kennedy, the player. Uh, and like I said, the research for this was a little bit different and unusual. So my questions will be a little bit different than the ones I normally ask, uh, you know, the pros. Uh, you know, first thing we usually do is look at the Hendon mob. Um, and I found your profile fascinating, your tournament results. You've got three uh-huh. results now. Before I get, you know, one way or the other, I've got zero results. So you've got three more than me. Feel good about it. Um, the no worries. First, uh, your first one, and this is, I guess, you know, like the dream, your first ever tournament result, you bank the bracelet in 2016, yeah. almost $150,000. And then you have two other results occurring right after the other two years later for just over $400 a piece in these $200 daily tournaments. So I'm guessing, just a guess here, you're primarily a cash game player. Ding, 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 ding. We're going to put that as your first win on Hendon Ma. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell us about your regular cash games. Um, so like I said, typically I'm a 2-5 player when I was playing Hold'em. Um, I have crossed over to the Omaha bug because it's, it's, it's a, it's a crack. It, it's, it's really an addiction. Um, and it's hard for me to go back when I'm playing cash to hold them, even when the Omaha game breaks. But, um, typically I, I am an, I'm an aggressive player to a degree. I, um, definitely play outside of what we call ABC or the rules of poker type of hands and strategies. So, I've kind of created my own. Um, I like to mix things up. I like to be the non-standard, you know, this is what she should have, or this is what she should do, or in this position, she should three bet or blah, blah, blah. I try to do everything unorthodox. And it's just a matter of, I never want someone to be able to put me on a hand. And that's kind of, I think, why I fell in love with Omaha is because there is so much variation. There is a lot of swing. You know, there are a lot of variables. And I also look at at an Omaha game as if you get good at it, it teaches you how to be a better hold'em and tournament player. Because I tell people all the time, Omaha teaches you how to fold. Yes, you can win a lot of big pots. But if you become an astute game player of Omaha, it teaches you how to fold. And folding is very important in every single game that you play. So when you learn, you know, how bottom set is no good and, you know, jack high flush draws are no good in Omaha, it makes you play a lot tighter game and better game and and hold them. It it just has to transfer over. So I kind of utilize that to progress my game as a whole. Um, Naturally, I wanted to go out and play those series this year, but with everything going on, I just took the safe route to say it'll be there next year. We'll yep. figure it out. Yep. Um, so locally, like I stated, the tournaments that are ran here, I don't get in because I work there. Okay. Okay. So it's yeah. a matter of just so not being able to play tournaments. Not not in a position to play. So oh, um, okay. So that's why I'm my Omaha has been, you know, my um needle in the arm so far right now because that's all I really have a, a taste for. So I think um but I like I said I always try to 
look at how I played, win or lose, even when I'm winning, you know, did what did I do well? What could I have done better? If I have a losing session, you know, hey, were you just not running good, you know, but did you play the hands that you felt like you should and, you know, so on and so forth. So I have to be my own mirror because I don't necessarily have poker buddies. I don't have a, like a big group of friends where we all can assess each other's, you know, uh, good and bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of like my own teacher and my own student and <laughs> everything in between. But awareness is definitely that first step. And, you know, clearly it's something you pay attention to. And, you know, that by almost by definition, you know, when you're like, when you are your own mirror, you know, you will become, you already have the mindset uh, of a winning player. So it's just a matter of the results, uh, you know, hopefully Mm -hmm. uh, following through on on that type of mindset. Um, You talked about uh, variance, you know, of Omaha. And of course, you know, everyone experiences that even the, the greatest players, you know, have their, their downswings. I'm curious, how do you deal with times when the cards don't just necessarily fall your way? You know, and this is something that I hit, that didn't do before. You know, like I said, I have this aggressive nature kind of in the game and in the game of life, I, I guess. I had to assess that life is all about balance. And I, I recall talking or listening rather with you in the interview with Danielle and it kind of resonated. It's like, if you don't grab a hold of that balance, you can just get lost. Mm-hmm. You can get lost in chasing. You can get lost in trying to recover. And sometimes you may not recover everything that you've lost, but you can't recover time that you've lost in life. So I think that learning at, especially now I'm 42 years old, you know, I'm, I'm not a kid out here anymore. I have to make sure that my, my family is taken care of. I have to make sure my health is taken care of. You know, my overall quality of life cannot just be geared towards poker. So I've, I've taken those downswings or those hits and saying, you know what? John is going to be there. The dealer Susie is going to be there. What else can I do with my day? What else can I do with this week? You know, I've started to get into books. I've recently read Will Smith's book, audiobook, and it was phenomenal. Just, you know, his life. I, I didn't even realize he was as profound as he was. Let's just put it that way. But he does his own, you know, reading and his voice and his message is almost like that book was like a conversation like you and I are having just sitting at a table. I felt like I was in a room with Will Smith. And so I had never experienced an audio book. I've never, you know, because like you said, you're playing poker, you're dealing, you're going to tournaments, you're doing, you know, in a week's time, in a month's time, you, you very rarely can make time for yourself if you don't allow that to happen. So um, just learning how to say that something else can help you mentally reset than waking up, figuring out how can I go back and play again? because I lost a thousand yesterday or because I lost 3000 yesterday. Okay. We, even if you go play today may not mean you're going to make 4,000 today. So what else can you do today until it's time to go back period, which will give you overall better quality of life. Good answer. Good answer. I like it. Um, You talked about uh, balance um, and, you know, it's at the end of the day, you got to be responsible and, you know, provide for your family, make sure they're taken care of. Uh, just, you know, you got to change gears ever so slightly an unplanned question. But since you mentioned it, uh, what is uh, family life like uh, when you're not uh, dealing or playing poker away from the film? Well, it is consisting of uh, my mom and I do have a special friend. We hang out. We bowl. Um, neither of us have children. Uh, we like good food. So I guess we're foodies, uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, and. I lost my father in 2015 to ALS. Mm-hmm. And um, so that took a toll on me because I was a dad's girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now it's just trying to preserve the time and and the, create the memories as much as I can with my mom. Um, never, Like I said, never had kids, never been married. So mm-hmm. it, it's more or less kind of a self-awareness that life is short and just doing the little things, trying to travel and travel to places without poker. You know, so that I'm not just, you know, almost swayed in that direction. So, you know, trying to go and see different things in life that, you know, you maybe read about as a kid and now is the time to enjoy it, if if nothing else. 
Absolutely. And I think uh, that's uh, definitely a message that resonates with all of us, uh, especially considering what's been going on this last uh, couple of years or so. Um, okay. You talked about, uh, you know, the PLO sort of being that needle, uh, you know, the, the drip <laughs> that gives you gives you the fix that you're looking for. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it's been just about a year, though, since online poker. Uh, you know, became available legally in Michigan. Is that something uh, you avail yourself of at all? No. I like to look at you and the ketchup that dripped down on your shirt. <laughs> eating french fries. So I can determine what I want to do or what I don't want to do. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's fair. I accept that. Um, yeah. Okay, let's get to to the big win uh, in 2016. Uh, as we mentioned in the intro, you took down the WSOP ladies event, $150,000. You had mentioned in interviews around that time that you had played in the ladies event about a half dozen times before, had never cashed it. As we mentioned, uh, you know, hand in mob, that was literally your first tournament cash. Right. Uh, what right. made you, what makes you decide, uh, you know, hey, I'm going to go and play the, the ladies event. Why is that attractive to you? Well, like I said, I was, you know, chasing dreams and, and spending a whole lot of gas going back and forth and from college out to Atlantic City, you know, back in my 20s in college. And I think when I turned 30, you know, most of the time we we take those milestone birthdays and, you know, we say, hey, we're going to go have a big bash or rent a hall or, you know, do whatever. But I don't drink. I don't smoke. And my dance is kind of like a two-step in the living room at, at best, okay? So <laughs> my thought process is, well, what can I do for myself for my 30th birthday? And I said, you know, let's try the World Series. And I remember I was telling my mom about it, and she said, well, who's going to go with you? I said, I don't know. But, you know, poker is a one-man sport as far as I know. I don't need anyone to go, you know. But in her mind, oh, Las Vegas is scary and big. And I said, Mom. I think I can make it. And I remember I, I booked the trip. I stayed at the Circus Circus because I didn't know any better. <laughs> I, I was just online trying to figure out what's the best option here yeah. for pricing. They do have good room <laughs> rates. We'll give them that. <laughs> the rate was excellent. I said, why not? You know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> I didn't know about the rental car thing. So I rode the deuce. Um, oh, it was air conditioned. Oh yeah, I, I was. When I tell you, it was the uh, most eye-opening <laughs> version move of playing in the World Series that I had ever made. Yeah, I think the, the Deuce is the Las Vegas's version of the Atlantic City Jitney in a way, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that was my transportation to and fro everywhere I went. Okay, and um, honestly, I met. My birthday, I, I told you, number 69. Mm -hmm. My birthday is June the 9th. Yeah. So I was out there doing my birthday for the series. Uh -huh. So on the deuce, I met another lady whose birthday was that day. We went over to Toby Keith's restaurant. We had a dinner and we were complete strangers. We had a great time. Got a free cake. <laughs> yeah, sure. It, it's just one of those things where... I think my only child syndrome, mm -hmm. if you will, helped me to be able to push myself to say, I don't need someone else in order to enjoy life. Right. I think that was what I learned most out of that very first trip out there. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you've been doing it every year? And uh, I've no. been doing it every year since other than last year. Yeah. Uh -huh. oh, very cool. How, how do you decide? I mean, like you said, uh, you know, the, the situation is such that you can't play tournaments, you know, during the year when you're in Detroit. How do you decide uh, what it is that you're going to be playing uh, during the World Series? Is it just the ladies event? Are you, you know, you know, um, no, I, a couple years, a couple years ago, I played the um, uh, Millionaire Maker. Uh -huh. um, I typically try to play from a mathematical standpoint, I guess, those that are good return on the investment. Okay. Now, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have never played the main event. It was on my list to play this year until mm. COVID showed its butt up at the front door. Yeah. yeah. So that's still uh, hopefully this year what I'll play. I do understand that's the Mecca, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, of yeah. poker. <laughs> so I, I plan to make that happen. Um, ironically, I had a chance to play, obviously, right after winning 
But, you know, three days straight, you know, 10, 11 hours a day, in order for me to get in the main event the year I won, it would have been the very next morning to then play another two weeks straight. And it was just, I don't care what nobody tells you, tournaments are exhausting. Yeah. And so because I didn't feel like I had the mental fortitude to go forward with that, to me, that was just going to be a waste of an investment. So I yeah. opted out. So yeah. $10,000 wow. is a lot of money. And uh, In regardless, know, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it seems like, it seems to me, my my humble opinion, you made the right call there. And like you said, the main event will always be there. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and hopefully uh, it'll be coming up for you uh, perhaps this. Oh summer. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully things get better and, and we can stay safe and, and actually start to enjoy things in, in the normal fashion, I guess, again. For sure. Well, uh, you know, if you didn't spend uh, the 10 dimes on a WSOP main event entry, is there anything like, you know, $150,000 is a lot of money. Did you splurge on anything? You know, you, you weren't taking the deuce anymore after that, I hope. I did not take the deuce. <laughs> <laughs> I upgraded living quarters respectively okay. and I went yeah. on and got a rental car. Yes. So um, I... At that time, when I returned home, the, the biggest ticket item that I, I purchased, it, it was a um, Infinity QX60. I got nice. a 2016. Yeah. And it was one of those, you know what? You only live once. Let's go for it. And I actually still have it today. It's still running good and not causing me any problems. So there Beautiful. you go. Get the keeps on, on giving. That's wonderful. Um <laughs> So one of the other things that you've done besides uh, your cash game prowess, besides dealing, besides your bracelet, you were in the documentary, Cracking Aces. Uh, my friends, uh, Linda Johnson, Jan Fisher, you know, Hall of Famers in the poker world. Uh, folks, uh, those are episodes 39 and 57, respectively. So after this one, if you haven't listened to the episodes I recorded with Linda and Jan, those are some, some really great uh listening. So uh, they were featured in the documentary as well. This is a Cracking Aces is about uh, being a woman in the poker world. Plenty of, you know, well-known names. Your story, Courtney, was also featured uh, in the documentary. It was highlighted. What was that like for you? And, and, you know, were you approached? Did you ask to be included? Like, what was that whole experience like? You know, ironically, I was um, at work and part of the HR team had come to me and, and said, hey, you know, there's a gentleman that's looking to speak with you to possibly be a part of this, you know, documentary. And when I met Mr. Gilmore, it was just we had such a connection. He was so laid back, so down to earth, you know, and he told me about his idea and how he had, you know, encountered Linda and Jan at a Benihana you know, and how the whole idea came about when he just simply asked them, you know, what do they do for a living? And so um, I said, oh, well, that's cool. And he said, you know, he found me because he's also from Michigan. Okay. You know, and found out that I had won the bracelet. So um, I was ecstatic that, you know, he decided to speak to me. And I, and, and again, it's, it's um, I don't look at myself as a, a big shot in poker in any means, but I do understand who I am and who I represent from a perspective of being a woman and also being an African-American woman that the percentage of women as a whole that's even a part of the game or even trying to become greater in the game is very small. So in my mind, anyone that I can try to reach, speak to, encourage, um, that's why I play. That's one of the major reasons why I play. Of course, we're making money, but I want someone under me, you know, some 16, 17 year old young lady who thinks, you know, I like the game, but I'm afraid of it. Or I like the game, but my dad already shoots me out the room or, you know, you have a place at the table just as equal as anyone else. So I think that that story documents, you know, the strife that some of us go through, you know, some of the uh, loopholes that we have to go through and so on and so forth. And so um, I felt very privileged to be a part of it. And um, yeah. You feel that you were able to fully express yourself and, and use that platform as you had wanted to, or did some of the footage that got recorded uh, maybe end up on the cutting room floor? Um, no. I think it pretty good. Um, ironically, though, um, 
it was brought to my attention that I wasn't originally thought of as, I'm going to say, needing to be in the film. Okay. Um, you know, Mr. Gilmore did share that with me that he kind of pushed to say, well, no, I think that she does qualify or I think that she is significant. So, you know, to hear that, you know, and, and that means, unfortunately, we still have barriers even amongst those in the film that may have felt like, you know, maybe this person versus that person. But like I said, I I don't think any content was removed or I don't think anything was blemished at all. Um, and again, I, I'm glad that he went with his push to say, no, I think her voice needs to be heard or no, I think her presence is definitely needed in this film. And so for that, I'm, I'm very um, appreciative. I, I remember when the uh, film came out, there were a couple of like kind of like premieres and screenings and stuff. Uh, if mm -hmm. someone missed it at the time, uh, how would someone see Cracking Aces today? You know, would you know where to direct them? Um, yes. I, it, as far as I know, at this point, it's still available on a platform called Voodoo, uh -huh. which is V-U-D-U. And I think it rents for like maybe $2.99, $3.99. So it's very inexpensive. And it, it's about 45 minutes to an hour documentary. and um, it's something that I think almost any poker player would benefit from seeing from all of the ladies. And, you know, there's, you know, those players in there that are well before my time that I learned something from just watching the film, even though I didn't meet them, you know, because he interviewed them separately. But to put it all together, you know, the past, the present, the future, if you will, it, it helps to resonate with the struggle that has been going on for very very long time so i guess uh, just the cost of a big blind it seems like a, a worthwhile investment of four, 45 minutes of your time absolutely yes um, so this is a more i guess of a, of a speculative question but you know it seems like you're very you know you obviously love the game tremendously both as a player uh, and as a dealer and you said this is why you do what you do um, I'm wondering, do you perhaps engage a little bit differently with women as opposed to men when you do tell them about your life and what you do because you have a little bit more of that, I don't know, I don't know agenda is such a negative word, but like a goal uh, of trying to bring them into poker? Um, I think I don't necessarily get asked about what I do that often. Okay. A lot of times the women that approach me may hear from someone that I have a bracelet. Mm -hmm. You know, normally that's the talk. Not necessarily that I'm a player or that I'm a dealer, but that I, you know, I have a bracelet. So I, a lot of times I think that will then make them want to spark the conversation. Well, you know, how did you get into it? And, you know, how did this go? And they're not necessarily at the point of, saying, hey, can you help me with my game? So depending on, I, I guess you don't want to push upon people, you know, what they may not be looking for. Sometimes I kind of keep it short and sweet. You know, I kind of just give them some general information. But if it's someone that is really looking to learn, then, you know, we'll have further talks and sitting down and saying, you know, you know, I can work with you and, you know, so on and so forth. And we discuss it from a business perspective. Um, but just in general talk, <laughs> excuse me, I think most people that I encounter is more or less just, it's not a lot of women still. Ironically, when I think about it, it's still a lot of men I deal to. There's a lot of men I play with. I might be one of three players at MGM, honestly, that's a female in that room in mm -hmm. Omaha, period, wow. in Omaha. Yes. There's, they may run three or four games, spread three or four games on a Friday night. I may be the only woman in that room because it's a separate room than the main. Sure. Um, so I, to get approached from another woman about playing that game, typically it, it doesn't happen. So here's your platform. You've got, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know exactly the percentage of our audience uh, that is women, but I know among the 300,000 members of the Cards Jet Forum, plenty of women interested in the game. Maybe, you know, someone has a passing interest, you know, like yourself, friend of a friend happens to see a, a link. What's this poker thing all about? Whether they're young, you know, approaching 21 or 
senior citizens got you know discretionary right. time and money on their hands. They're interested in poker. You know, you've been there. You've done that for quite a few years, Courtney. So what sort of uh, tips or, you know, a couple of just starter points would you like to share uh, with uh, with ladies like that? Well, I would say to ladies that always try to figure out how to not be an easy read. If I had any advice, it's don't let the bulk of the audience, which is men, play up the fact that you should have this and you should be playing this. And if he raises here or he does this here, you should be doing that. You almost want to rewrite the story that in every step that he has placed you on, you place those steps back to him in the reverse order. That would be my very, uh, you know, without being too detailed on hands and things of that nature, because of course that's not what we're here for, but just a matter of, even if you pick up a book and the book says, you know, you're supposed to be playing your aces, your ace king, you're, you know, what's wrong with a five, four suited? What's wrong with doing something that these eight men at this table with you don't think you should be doing in order to get an outcome that you don't even expect? So that's the key at that point. Um, It's to do something just off the cuff unorthodox. Good advice. Uh, Well, I got one final question before we turn to the community questions segment of the show. Uh, You know, we talked, you know, hopefully you will be going out to the World Series uh, later this summer. Uh, You know, 2022 could be that year where you enter the main event. Um, You know, any other plans, hopes, dreams, the items on the bucket list of places you'd like to play uh, over the course of 2022? You know, I've never been on a cruise. I would like to play poker on a cruise one day. That is my ultimate goal, if you will. Um, In terms of actual just cities or, um, you know, exact platforms I haven't studied up on, but I've always wanted to go out on the water and play cards. So hopefully I'll get there one day. And we all know uh, water is where you're going to find tons and tons of fish. So (laughs) in this, in this, uh, I got to do the segues somehow, Courtney. So in in this segment of the show, we turn to you guys, our Cards Chat community, to see what questions you wanted to ask our guests. We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. And the first set of questions comes from Shells. Thank you very much, Shells, for sending these in. Um, Courtney, Shells wants to know, to what degree did winning that bracelet in 2016 change your life, your poker career, or did things more or less remain the same for you? Um, in, honor, in all honesty, it remained the same. Um, I. I I won the bracelet, like I said, you know, you 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 come home, you you you're on a high, you know, you you may feel like, you know, you can retire and you know, start mm-hmm. a shoe repair business if you feel like it or something. But right. the reality <laughs> is it's not a whole lot of money, you know. Right. It, the the most valuable situation there is the bracelet and the accomplishment, which is mm-hmm. something that no one can take from you, you know. Mm-hmm. The money comes, the money goes. Um, but I think it changed my life in how I approach life, how I look at life, and how I am trying to always stay in the mindset that you don't quit at anything that you really want to succeed at. That is what changed my life is that for six years straight, seven years straight, I didn't win anything in that tournament. And I still booked that trip and I still went and I still told myself every year, you can do this. And so when it got to the point that I did that, it's like now anything you set your mind to, you can do no matter how much you got to get back up on the horse, no matter how much influence someone tells you, you can't, you continue to do exactly what you need to do to be persistent to succeed. And that's the key to life in everything. And that's what changed my life from winning that bracelet. 
Wow, I love that answer so much. Dare, dare I say that if there's a couple moments of this podcast you guys should re-listen to, it should be the answer to that question. That's a great answer, Courtney. Um, one more question from Shells. Um, Courtney, what do you like to do in your spare time? Um, I typically enjoy bowling, um, shopping, which is probably not the best thing, but every now and again, <laughs> you know, with COVID, you're stuck in the house. What else can you do? Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, spending time with my mom. Um, and like I said, is sometimes just meditation, just doing nothing, just, you know, getting back a sense of yourself um, and also trying to work out, you know, being healthier realizing all the junk you've ate all these years is going to catch up with you, you know, and making those lifestyle changes have been very important. Cool. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Shells, for those questions. Uh, next up is a name I have not seen before, Chica Bonita, beautiful woman. Uh, thank you very much for sending these questions in and for participating uh, in our show. Um, uh, Chica Bonita wants to know, um, Courtney, you beat Amanda Baker for the bracelet okay. in the 2016 championship. Um, have you met her again after that at the poker tables? No, I have not seen her um, subsequently since. Um, I don't know if it's just by happenstance or we may not have been at the same events. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, next question from Chica Bonita. Oh, this is interesting because you mentioned, you alluded to it before. It uh, wants to know, do your loved ones share your passion for poker? So you mentioned you learned from uh, your grandmother, from your father, father. anyone else? No, no, my mother doesn't have a love for for uh, for gambling um, at all. <laughs> um, so, and even my friends, they, you know, our gambling might be on the bowling, you know, bowling lane. We'll 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 uh, put something in the Amazon cart and see who wins it. But they're not poker people. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's fair. Um, and finally, from Chica Bonita, Courtney, do you have an idol? or someone you look up to among professional poker players? Hmm. That's a good one. I probably should have thought of that before now. <laughs> I, when I first started, I loved Daniel Negreanu, and not that I do not love him any less, um, but I think that I've probably evolved into some other people whose names is eluding me at this point. Um, I would say... Yeah, I, I I would say, honestly, I don't have another person that I idolized. I met Daniel right after I won my bracelet. And funny little quick story with that is that he was playing in a bigger event. And I happened to run by his table and see him. And I was so excited because up until that point, you know, that was my idol. And I remember he was in a hand and I waited patiently outside of the ropes. And I said, hey, I just want to say hi. I'm not sure if you me. And he says, of course, I know you. You just want a bracelet. And it just, my my world, you know, just go crazy. And he took a picture with me. I still have the picture. And and um, I like the fact that he was down to earth. And I like the fact that, you know, I knew he obviously, you know, wasn't trying to just fluff me. And, and that was that was like a good feeling. Like, okay, you know, a lot of times they say these big superstars are, you know, buttheads, for lack of a better way to use the, the terminology. But you know, they're, they're not always that bad, so. Confirm having uh, spoken with Daniel extensively over the years, definitely the truth. That's a really cool story. I love it. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not just he, him saying it. It's it's, it's legit. And he really does do right. that. He's a right. genuinely down-to-earth kind of dude. I like it. Very cool. Um, great story. Uh, Crystals, thank you very much, Crystals, for sending in these questions. A little bit more of a, a specific dive here, Courtney. Uh, Crystals wants to know, what was the most memorable hand from the 2016 WSOP win other than the final hand? Oh, she's making this old 42-year-old brain work. <laughs> uh, he, he, Crystals is a guy. Right? <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, if I recall right, and don't quote me, I think I do still have, you know, how they do the journaling of the hands. So I sure, think I, have to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I beat a set of tens with a 10-8 suited and ran out of flush that wasn't on the flop. Ooh. It went runner, runner flush. 
Okay. If, I, if I'm recalling that correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think I had a 10 nine or 10 eight suited in spades and um, cracked a set of tens. Were you all in like, you know, on the verge of elimination or did that set you up for? No, you know, I think, I think they played it. And, you know, I, I think the board was, you know, light enough with top set with tens that they were trying to naturally milk it. I think it was uh, pretty late where we had a lot of, a lot of chips. So mm-hmm. I ended up getting lucky, but not having to be all in prior to the river, so on and so forth. No. Got it. Cool. Okay. Uh, and further on the bracelet theme, Crystal also wants to know, what is the most surprising thing you encountered after winning the bracelet? Now, this one is a good story. The most surprising thing I, I received was back in my room, which again, I wasn't at Circus Circus. <laughs> <laughs> I did... Late in the evening, get a phone call to the room, and it was the front desk wanting to connect a fan, I guess, if you will. It was uh, a gentleman, and I said, sure, and he came on the phone, and he said, hey, I just want to congratulate you. I have a young daughter that loves the game, and we were here. We were able to see you win, and, you know, just going back to what we've spoken of earlier, it's just a matter of there's not many African-American women playing the game. And so he was just wanting to be able to speak to me directly to say, hey, this is real and have his daughter know this can happen, you know, and this is something that's attainable. And because I had lost my father the year before, I think it made it all just solidify in my head that Sometimes what you do and what you accomplish, you don't realize how much it influences other people. It's not just about the success of yourself. And so that was full circle for me at that time. I mean, hearing that, that's a beautiful story. That's an absolutely beautiful story. Wow. That was beautiful. Thank you. That's a good, thanks for sharing that one. And thanks, uh, Crystals, for that great question. Um, Clutch Denier, another name I have not seen before. Thank you so much for participating. Um, Wants to know, Courtney, how do you screen your own game and your leaks? What sort of thought processes do you go through? uh, And do you have someone to sort of verify the way you think through your hands uh, and situations as far as improving your game? Unfortunately not. Like I said, this big mirror that you have to have when you're out here by yourself has been my best friend. Okay. Um, at this point, I just, you know, I'm not documenting every hand or documenting each play or each win or loss like some people do. But overall, I try to track what I'm buying in for. I try to track what, you know, where I'm up or down. Um, and then certain particular hands that, you know, like I said, if I'm doing something off the Courtney grid of things that I've created, you know, even when it's successful, I try to look at why it was successful. If it's unsuccessful, I try to look at it. So I may make notes of special hands or special circumstances. Um, and I just try to look back over those notes, you know, and, and say, how can I do this different? Or should I remove it? Sometimes everything that you're doing is not in the best fashion. It, it may not result in overall a better odds of return on your investment because exactly that's what poker is it's about meeting cool people and a return on your investment otherwise why are you there right so (laughs) (laughs) you know and then that's i'm my own worst enemy and i'm my own teacher and i'm my own mirror and my own note taker and so on and so forth okay um, and we got our final question here from Belladonna05. Thank you very much, Belladonna. Uh, I saved this one for last because uh, I just, I like it. This is fun. Makes me smile, this question. Uh, Courtney, Belladonna wants to know, have you ever worn your bracelet while dealing? And if so, what kind of comments do you get when you do? <laughs> well, I when I first won, I took a few months off from work. You know, just so I guess you could relish in the moment. Um, And when I remember when I returned back to work, I walked down the little platform there and the entire room stood up and gave me an applause. And that was like one of the most heartfelt moments of where it's like, hey, these are my local people. It's like the voice or something, you know, they're rooting for you and they're happy for you. So I wore the bracelet, I think, maybe a couple times thereafter while working, just so that 
most people that were there, you know, different shifts or different days could get a chance to look at it. But now overall, I just keep it at home, you know, uh, safely because I don't want to get it all scratched up and such. But um, I still every now and again, you know, get a little banter, get a little needling about it, you know, or here's the warden that thinks she's better than us. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm just like you guys, you know, <laughs> reminding them that I'm I'm a grinder at the same at the same way. I just happen to have gotten a bracelet, you know, so, yeah. Great. And I love that story that they, you know, that they gave you that show of respect yeah. like that. That's really wonderful. Um, guys, yeah. thank you so much for sending in your questions for Courtney Kennedy. And of course, just a friendly reminder to all of you out there in our Cards Chat community, we'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests in the dedicated thread in the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes, spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Courtney, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to share with our audience? No, I appreciate you listening. I appreciate the invite from you, obviously, Robbie. Um, I'm hoping that um, my stories or my information, like I said, just touches somebody, even if it's just a matter of inspiration today. It may not help you with your game, but you know, maybe you're feeling down or maybe you've been on a, a downward streak, you know, just know that tomorrow is almost always there. And it, it is something that as long as you keep getting up on the horse, you can't fail yourself. Beautiful. I love it. Great way to end the show. Courtney Kennedy, thank you again so much. Uh, thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at Card Player Life. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.